Wow, what a, a powerful song we just sang, Holy Spirit rang down. I pray that that's what has happened in this worship experience we've already had here today, that a proceeding of the Holy Spirit would convince you and convict you of your sin and would sit your life in such a way that you want to live for God. That's what I want to talk about today is how to have a good life. It's a blessing to be with you. I'm going to tell you, it, it's, this is a special place. I get to be in a lot of different churches, but this church is a very special place. Pastor Tim is truly one of the best pastors in Southern Baptist Convention. He's one of the best preachers in Southern Baptist Convention, no doubt about that. You have an outstanding staff. This church is doing great things for God with a mission mindset. And it's a blessing to, for you to be a part of a healthy church as seeking to serve the Lord through the Great Commission. Don't take that for granted. Don't get comfortable where you are, but just thank God for what you've got. It's a good thing. This morning, I want us to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and we're going to look at, at most of the verses in that particular chapter, but I want to talk about how to have a good life. All of us are interested in that, but a better question than how to have a good life is, is, is what do I need to do in order to have a good life? And I believe Ecclesiastes chapter 7 gives us seven suggestions on how to have a good life this morning. So you may want to write these down, something you may want to replicate in your life, a truth that, that might transform your life on a daily basis. But I believe that God can, can help you have a good life. For some people in our culture today, in our society today, a good life is just about having fun, going out and having a good time. Some people, they, they long for the vacation they're getting ready to take. For other people, it may be that car that they're building in their garage. For other people, it may be that relationship that they're pursuing. For other people, it might be the World Cup soccer. It might be the Tour de France that they, they want to compete in. For other people, it might simply just be that, that they have a passion for golf. Do you know anybody like that that just loves to play golf? I have a pastor friend that absolutely loved to play golf. And uh, during one point in his ministry, he got so busy that with his ministry, with counseling and with sermon prep and just leaving the church, he hadn't played golf for about three weeks. And so he looked at his schedule, didn't see any opening on his schedule at all in the weeks to come. So he decided that he would devise a plan, that he would call his chairman of deacons uh, the next coming Sunday, get a buddy of his to come in and preach for him, and he'd go golf some 50 miles away over in a neighboring town. So came that day, Roddy loaded up his golf clubs, put them in the trunk, shut the trunk, drove over to the neighboring community, and here's he was teeing up on the first tee, put the ball down, took his backswing, teeing up, and an angel looks down from heaven and gasps, what's this? A Baptist preacher playing golf on Sunday morning? God needs to know about this. The angel immediately runs off, tells God, he, as he swings through, hits the ball. God, at that point in time, sends a gust of wind, causes that ball to travel farther than it's ever traveled before, hits the green, rolls, and drops into the hole. The angel was aghast. God, what do you mean? Is this supposed to be some sort of punishment? And God said, angel, just think about it. That's the first hole in one he's ever made, and who can he tell about it? <laughs> Now, think about that in our lives. We have things that go on in our lives, problems and perplexities, disappointments and discouragements that happen to us, but sometimes we just don't have anyone to share those things with. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, we know that the writer pins in this chapter of Scripture, he gives us some suggestions on how to deal with life despite its disappointments. Have you ever been disappointed in life? Have you ever been discouraged in life? Have you ever become despondent about life? Well, friends, that's just life, isn't it? 
Sometimes we live life and those things come our way along this journey that we call life. But you know, the writer here in Ecclesiastes 7 says that life is more beyond just avoiding those emotions, but processing those, accepting and assimilating the things that life throws at us. Because with the good in life, sometimes we're going to have a little bad. And we got to learn how to realize that in the good, in the bad, God is still God. And God still loves you. And God still has a plan for you. And you can still have a good life despite that something may go wrong in your life multiple times over. You can still have a good life. So don't get discouraged. Don't get despondent. The writer of Ecclesiastes here gives us seven suggestions on how to have a good life. Let's look at the first suggestion here. And the first suggestion is to be serious. Look at verses 1 through 4 in our text this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. A good name is better than precious ointment. How true it is. If you've ever had anyone trash your good name, perhaps uh, over Facebook or a friend that's talked behind your back or, or someone at work that, that's tried to, to ruin your good name. You know, you can put perfume all day long, but it eventually wears off, doesn't it? Your name stays with you. A good name is more important than perfume. A good name is better than a precious ointment. So think about the actions, the choice you make, the decisions that, that you have to, to, to decide in your mind on a daily basis. How's this going to affect my name? How's this going to affect my witness? How will this affect my work for Christ? A good name is something that is precious, and we need to hold on to that. You know, when you're on the computer and, and, and a pop-up hits and, and you've got the choice to make, well, I, I hit the pornography website or not? Good names more precious than anything you can ever have, my friends. When, when a temptation comes your way and you decide, am I going to engage in that or not? A good name is precious, my friends. we got to make daily decisions in order to maintain that good name because having a good name is a good way to have a good life as well. The writer tells us that in verse 1 there, and the day of death than the day of one's birth, he's comparing and contrasting life here. Better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For it's the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sad countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Now, this particular passage, the writer is kind of comparing and contrasting two approaches to life. On one approach, there are those that everything is a constant party. They're going for the gusto. They're, they're out for all the fun they can get any way they can get it. Any of you know anybody like that? You got any relatives like that? Hello, do you have a family? I do. I don't know about you. But, you know, we don't have to look far to find people that are, are living their lives for themselves and not for the Lord. And, and, and the Bible talks about here, and the writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to tell us that, that there are those that just everything in the life of them is just a party, getting everything out of their life, being self-seeking and self-serving. On the other hand, there are those who perceive behind the, the realities of life and the celebrations of life and understand that life has a little bit more meaning. And it's this latter attitude that the writer of Ecclesiastes is talking about. He's talking about how, how we need to look beyond the, the pains and the problems and perplexities of life and see that life has more meaning than just us self-satisfying and self-serving ourselves. Alex de Tocqueville once said, he said, America is great because America is good. If America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. 
And one of the things that we've got going on in our, our society, another visit to Torqueville made to America, he said that the main, the main focus of Americans is namely their puny self. It hasn't changed in over a century. You know, we're still having our main focus in Americans on ourself. And we need to realize that, that if we're going to live for ourselves, it isn't going to work. Rick Warren in his, his book called The Purpose Driven Life that's been out for over a decade, the first line, the first sentence of the first chapter is one of the most powerful statements written in any book outside the Bible. It goes like this, it's not about you. It's not about you. Now that's a newsflash for many people because many people think it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all what I can get out of life. It's all that life can give me. But truly, my friends, it's not all about you. It's got to be more than that in life. During the, the Gulf War, back over 20 years ago, uh, I've been a military chaplain for 32 years. A man wrote back home. Uh, he was an aviation uh, pilot, and he, he wrote back home these words. He said, since I've been over here, I've learned how few things matter in life, but how much those few things matter. Think about that statement for a minute. I've learned how few things matter in life, but how much those few things matter. Friends, when you get down to it, there are two things that are going to go into eternity. You know what they are? The Word of God and people. And that's where we ought to place our priority on, people and the Word of God. At Southern Baptist, we used to be known as people of the book. Are you aware of that? Back in the day, they call us people of the book. Do you realize that less than 11% of Southern Baptists even read their Bible daily today? Even engage in the Word of God. That's life transforming. We've got to get into God's Word. It's got to get into us. You know, we got to realize that, that we got to place our priority on things that are going to last, the things that are going to matter. People matter. The Word of God matters. And we need to give ourselves over to the Word of God. We need to, to, to engage in God's Word. Now, that's the, the attitude that the writer of Ecclesiastes is talking about here, an attitude that will enable us, in spite of the pains and problems and perplexities of life, to look beyond, behind life's curtain and see the things that really matter in life. You know, if your motorhome really matters, when the last time you've seen somebody buried with a motorhome? You know, what about, what about your motorcycle or your, your four-wheel drive truck with a Cummins engine and, and you know, our transmission and, and all these things that, you know, big mud tires and all the things that somebody, was, you know, whatever it is that floats your boat. You know, those things won't matter. Rust's going to happen. Malls are going to eat close. They're, they're going to fade, fail, and fall away. But there's two things that are going to live forever, and that's people and Word of God. Those things really matter. And we need to put our priority on those things. So the first thing about how to have a good life is to get serious about life. You've only got one life. Are you aware of that? Once you're dead, you know what you are? Dead. It's done. Your destiny is determined. you got one life to live. You need to live it right. You need to have a good life. You need to live it for the Lord. Don't waste your life. Don't let your life just get away from you. You're going to wake up one day and say, I'm dead. And it's done. And your destiny's determined. You'll be at home in heaven with the Lord, eternally living with the Lord in a new heaven and a new earth. Or you'll go to hell, be thrown in a lake of fire, eternally separated from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, those are your final destinations. Thank God we had Jesus who says, I go to prepare a place for you, and that where I am, there you may be also. Because in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go and I prepare a place for you. The question I got for you this morning is this. Have you made proper preparations? 
And do you have room reservations at home in heaven? Question I want to ask you this morning. Because if you don't, you are not going to have a good life throughout time and eternity. It does not look good. Take a peek at the back of the book and see what the lake of fire entails. See what the, the separation from the love of God looks like. See what happens when grace is removed. See, my friends, so many people are living for today without thinking about eternity, not getting the long look, the big good, big look at what God has planned for man. And I want to tell you, we need to take the big look if we're going to have a good life. It's important to see our end game in order that we live our life well here and now so that we might position ourselves well for then and there to lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven. I'll tell you this, we're going to spend a whole lot more time on that side of eternity than this side. Amen? When you breathe your last, you're going to spend a whole lot more time in heaven if you're a believer, a whole lot more time in hell if you're not a believer than you are ever in this life. None of us are guaranteed any number of our days. Any of us could go at any time. We don't know. We simply don't know. We've got to be ready. We've got to be prepared. You've got to get serious about life because you only have one life. It's your life. And when you breathe your last, your destiny's determined. And if you determine in your head, in your heart, that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for your sin, that he paid the price for your sin, and that all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. Have you determined that? Do you believe that Jesus Christ, after that, was put in a borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, and three days later, he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death? Do you believe that? Why do I believe that, preacher? Well, I don't know. Only 500 people over a 40-day period of time gave eyewitness testimony. That's irrefutable and indisputable evidence of the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Buddha rise from the dead. Confucius rise from the dead. Mohammed rise from the dead. L. Ron Hubbard, who invented Dianetics and Tientology, rise from the dead. Give me a name. Throw it at me. Did any of them rise from the dead but Jesus Christ? No. Why are you going to hit your wagon? The horse, it won't pull. I want to tell you something, my friends. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no woman, no boy, no girl comes to the Father but by Him. Get serious about this life. So I'm getting a little excited, okay. It's something to get excited about. This is eternity. It's something to get serious about. This is forever. This matters. This counts. This is the game. This is it. Do you get it? Get serious. Get serious about your relationship with God because it matters. And if you want to have a good life, you need to know Jesus. It's the first step to having a good life. Step number one. Second suggestion on how to have a good life from Ecclesiastes chapter 7, is that we need to be suggestible. Now, in verse 5, look and see what God's Word has to say to us. It's better uh, for the, to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. we got to be suggestible. Now, what does that mean, to be suggestible in our life? Well, a modern critic has said most of us would rather be ruined by the praise of people 
uh, than to be corrected by the criticism that comes our way when it rightly is given our way. Charles Haddon Spurgeon once time uh, was preaching to a congregation. He said this, it's hard to be proud of race, place, or face, but that's what we're proud of in our, in our culture, and our society that we find ourselves in. We need to be proud that we are a believer in Jesus Christ and we've been saved by the grace of God. Now, friends, none of us are very good at accepting criticism. Is that true? It's hard to accept criticism. But when you accept criticism, you may learn something about yourself and you may disarm your critic in the process. So when criticism comes your way, be a good listener. Be someone that's loving and Christ-like. But also say, is there something in that criticism that needs to sharpen me, needs to change me, that I need to gain a different perspective on? And a writer of Ecclesiastes is telling us that we need to learn to be suggestible. Have you ever met anybody that's inflexible? Have you ever met anybody inflexible? You know, I, I get some people, they get all bent out. They look like pretzels. You know what I mean? They get all just jammed up and they're all contorted about everything. And I'm going to say, hey, man, straighten up. You know, why are you so bent out of shape over this little bitty thing? You're all bothered and, and bent out. You're, you're not flexible. You're, you're not moldable. Jesus wants to take us like clay and mold us into the image he wants us to become. Does he not? We need to be at the potter's hands. We need to be pliable and moldable and shapeable. I got news for you. You don't have it all figured out. Now, I know that kicked some of you in the shin here this morning. But, but you're not the smartest person on the planet. I have a 15-year-old son. He's a genius. I'm telling you. He's going to be here today at 11 o'clock, and he's going to another church. I said, you need all the church you can get today, son. I mean, you know, he is an absolute genius. But I, I got news for you. We don't know everything. We don't have it all figured out. But I'll tell you what, our maker, master, ruler, creator, sustainer of the universe does. Our mighty God does. And we need to give our loyalty and attention and devotion and our mind over to him. We need to be suggestible. You know, one of the, the, the ways to having a good life is to be teachable, to be trainable. As I mentor uh, young people that I work with, whether it's in the chaplaincy, I mentor about 36 uh, chaplains and they're, they're young. And, and one of the things I look for in a good chaplain is, are you teachable? Are you moldable? Are you, are you shapeable? Are you willing to learn? Are you willing to grow? Those are important things. And, and in your life, if you've got some season on your life, you need to be mentoring and pouring back into this next generation. You need to be blessing those who are coming along behind you. You know, this is a phenomenal church, but if it doesn't invest downward in those that are coming along, then it won't be at some point in time down the road. You've got to make sure that you continue to share your story, share your faith, express what Jesus Christ has done for you in your life to others in this community, that they might come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that they might have the good life that you're experiencing. You've got to have a love and a compassion for those who are around you. You know, a third suggestion here, that the writer of Ecclesiastes gives us is to be uh, submissive. Look at verse 7 in our text today. Uh, Surely oppression destroys the wise, a wise man's reason, and a bribe corrupts the mind. We have got to be uh, submissive. Now think about this for a minute. The writer of Ecclesiastes is talking about here that the world is full of those who would oppress other people. We don't have to look far. Look on the TV, look on the internet, look at, in the newspapers. Any way you receive your media today, this world's a messed up place, is it not? It's an absolutely messed up place. And, and we've got to be sensitive. I'm going to get to some missing. We've got to be sensitive to what's going on around us. And, and sometimes we don't get sensitive. We get in our own little world 
and we just forget about what's around us. We have got to be sensitive to what is going on around us. There was a little girl that came running into the classroom one day, and she, they were at recess during school, and she came running in, the teacher, she said, teacher, teacher, two boys are fighting on the school ground. On the one on the bottom, would like to see you. Now, think about that for a minute. There are a lot of people on the bottom of the pile of life who would like to see those of us who are Christians, who, name, who claim the name of Christ, to lend them a helping hand, to help them up, to get them where God wants them to go. And friends, we got to be sensitive to those around us. Do you love your family? Do you love your friends? Do you love your neighbors? Do you love your work associates? If they're living for themselves and not living for the Lord and don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, you're not loving them enough if you're letting them go to hell. You're not loving them enough if you're not willing to share your faith, tell them your story, your testimony about how Christ has changed your life. I'll tell you what, it wouldn't be a safer place to bring them than to bring them right here and let them hear the teaching of Pastor Harris that he brings from the Word of God every Sunday. Invite them to church. Invite them to special function. Care about those that are around you. You know, you got to be sensitive to the needs. The Holy Spirit may speak to you and say, I really need to talk, talk, talk to them about Jesus. Not today. You know, when he speaks, prompts you to do that, do it. Amen? Do it. Invite them. Get bold for Jesus. Be sensitive to the needs that are going on around you. A fourth thing we need to do in order to have a good life, and that is to be stable. Look at verses 8 and 9 of our text today. And the end of a thing is better than the beginning. For the patient in spirit is better than the proud of spirit. Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry. For anger rests in the bosom of fools. Now, such an occasional anger is not necessarily a bad thing. Jesus was even angry on occasions, but at the right time, toward the right people, and for the right reason. That's not what the writer of Ecclesiastes is talking about here. He's talking about those who at the least provocation fly off the handle and get angry all the time. Do you know anybody like that? If you don't, you may be that person. Who knows? Now, let me tell you something about anger. Anger is only one letter away from danger. Are you aware of that? You add a D to anger and you got danger. That is a problem. There were two flies that were buzzing around a messy kitchen one day. And they landed on a, a, a knife handle and began to gorge themselves on the leftover particles of bologna that the knife had been cutting. The flies had their fill, ate all they wanted, became airborne again, flew off the handle, got dizzy, then dropped dead to the floor. You say, preacher, what is the moral to that story? Why are you telling us? What does that have to do with Ecclesiastes chapter 7? The moral of that story is this. Don't fly off the handle when you're full of baloney. <laughs> now, I got news for some of you. You're full of baloney. And, you know, you need to realize that, that, that God has a better way and that we need to listen to his word and his way for our life, and we need to live it. And we don't need to be so angry about it. You know, God is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you're going around angry all the time, you miss something special. You miss the love of God. You miss the grace of God. You've missed the forgiveness of your sin. God loves you. Are you aware of that? He loves you. And so if you're angry all the time, you need to let go of that misdirected, unguided anger and release it and let the love of God come into your heart. 
Y'all, there's a, a, a fifth suggestion on how to have a good life, and that's this. That's be satisfied. Look at verse 10 in our text today. Do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. Some of the people deal with a problematic present by longing for the good old days. I remember back in the day when I used to do this, when I used to do that. Well, my friends, I want to tell you something. Churches can even do that. They can look back and I can say, oh, I remember back when, when we did this at Woodburn. I remember back when we did that at Woodburn. You know, instead of looking back, learn from where you've been, but apply where you are and look forward to what God's going to do. I want to tell you the best days this church is ever going to see are ahead of it. Amen? Amen. I, are ahead of it, not behind it. And this church is doing great things for God. So, so don't live in the past. You've got to live in the present, and you've got to position yourself to meet the future if you're going to meet the needs of people that we minister to today. And this church is doing a great job at that. So we need to realize, this is the Bible says, the apostle Paul in Philippians 4.11, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. Some of you today are in some pretty tough circumstances, aren't you? You're in a tough circumstance in a relationship. You're in a tough circumstance with, with one of your kids. You're in a tough circumstance with your finances. You got more month than you got money. You know, you're in a tough circumstance with a, a health challenge that's, that's facing you, and you've been to the doctors, and you've taken medications, and you've had treatments, and you've done surgeries, and, and you just don't seem to be able to get on top of this. Some of you are in some pretty tough circumstances today, are you not? Pretty tough circumstances. But I want to tell you, the Word reminds us again that we need to learn to be content in whatever life throws at us, because if God is with us, him and you are enough to get you through whatever it is you're going through, to face it. You need to trust God. And to have a good life, you need to realize it in your life. A sixth thing, two more things, and we'll finish up here. A sixth thing is to be submissive. This is a submissive one. Verses 15 through 18. And the Bible talks to us here in this particular passage. I have seen everything in my days of vanity. There's a just man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. Do not be overly righteous, nor not be overly wicked. Do not, uh, why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp hold of this, and also do not remove your hand from the other. For he who fears God will, will be over them all. Now think about what this particular passage is saying. A lot of people try to deal with life by saying, well, I'm better than everybody else. I'm a pretty good person. I've not committed a crime, or I've not treated my family bad, or I've done this or that. And that's the good game. And I want to tell you what, you'll always lose the good game. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God is what God says. Amen? All are sinners. All. That means you, means me. The only one that's not sinned is Jesus Christ. You know, you can't be overly righteous. You are a sinner saved by grace, damned, doomed, and destined to dine in hell, albeit for Jesus Christ, but what he did for you on the cross. Amen? So we need to realize it's Christ and Christ alone that makes us right with God and gives us our righteousness. But we can't be overly sinful either. It talks about a, a good man prolongs his life and his evil deeds. You know, we need to, to live a good life, live a life worthy of what the Lord would have for us. And, and in our life, we do see a lot of things. We see a lot of hurts, heartaches, hardships. But God still wants us to have a good life. And then there's a seventh thing in this passage of Scripture. 
in, in Ecclesiastes 7. And we get it in verse 25. It talks about to be smart for God. It says, I directed my mind to know, to investigate, and to seek wisdom and an explanation. Have you ever known anybody like this? I want an explanation. <laughs> I, want, I need an explanation. Now, friends, we should use our minds. We need to be smart for God. Are you aware of that? Sometimes it amazes me. We get in a church and we get people that, that have good business sense and good minds and, and, and good relationships. And they get in a church and I think they check their mind at the door. I'm like, you did what? Why are you doing this? I mean, it just, it's just amazing to me. We've got to be smart for God. We use every bit of mind power that, that we have in the church today to be smart for God. Because I'll tell you what, Satan's pretty crafty today, is he not? He's pretty good at doing what he does. We need to be very good at doing what we do. We need to be smart for God. John Wesley was preaching one day, and he was using a, a Hebrew and a Greek word to try to explain uh, the, the text he was dealing with in that, that particular night with one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. And a man in the congregation stood up and said, God doesn't need your learning. To which Leslie replied, God doesn't need your ignorance either. And, you know, sometimes before you speak up in a crowd, you need to ask, am I being smart for God or am I showing my ignorance in spite of the situation? You know, we need to learn how to be smart for God. It's imperative that we're smart because I want to tell you, we're living in a difficult, difficult day. An old saying says, life is hard by the yard, but it's a cinch by the inch. By the yard or by the inch, life is tough at times, my friends. Difficulties and disappointments often come our way. But if we'll do what this passage of Scripture talks about, you know, if we will be, if we will be sensitive, if we'll be suggestible, if we'll be smart, if, we, if we'll do the things that this passage tells us, then we too can have a good life. What's the first step to having a good life? The first step to having a good life is not living it for yourself, but living it for God. And if you're here this morning and you never, ever trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you need to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ the Holy Spirit speaking to you and come to a saving knowledge of Christ and become a joint heir with a king, a child of God. That's the first step to having a good life. If you're this morning and you're a believer, like many of you who are in this congregation, and you want to have a good life, have you been sold the lies of Satan by our culture we live in today? If I can just buy that product, I'll be satisfied. If I can just have that image of myself, I'll be satisfied. If I can just acquire this amount of wealth, I'll be satisfied. Some of those miserable people I know are some of the wealthiest people on this planet. I want to tell you, the things of this world will not satisfy. The only thing that's going to satisfy you is Jesus. And if you got your eyes looking in the wrong place, if you got your, your heart in the wrong place, if you got your hands and feet uh, doing the wrong things, I want to tell you, the only way you're going to get satisfied is in Jesus. Anybody ever heard of Mick Jagger? Mick Jagger, he can't get no satisfaction, you know? And, 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 and my, he's got fame, fortune, beautiful women, cars, whatever the world could possibly offer to him. Uh, he, he can't get, matter of fact, honestly, seriously, his girlfriend just killed herself this year. She couldn't get no satisfaction with a man that can't get no satisfaction. Friends, if Mick Jagger can't get no satisfaction on this planet, as wealthy as he is, as famous as he is, and all the things that, that would, the world would have to offer him, you can't get no satisfaction. Amen? You can't get it. The only way to be satisfied is in Jesus. And if you're a believer and you've been buying into the things of the world, stop it and start buying into the things of God. Two things are going to last forever, people 
and Word of God. Put your priority on those things. If you're here today and maybe you, you've called on the name of the Lord Jesus, been saved, but you've never ever followed through on baptism, you've never identified with Christ, and maybe today you need to come and say, hey, I want to I be baptized. I want to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to go and walk in a new way of life. Maybe you need to do that today. Maybe you're here today and you, you've been visiting Woodburn for a while, but your letter's somewhere else, but your life's here. Bring your letter where your life is. Come and join this church. I couldn't recommend a better church for anybody to join anywhere than this church. You make a good decision. Come and be a part of what God's doing at Whitburn. Maybe you're here today and you're a believer and you just feel distant from God. Your life's not where it is and you're not having a good life. Maybe you just need to come to this altar this morning and say, God, I've had my priorities in the wrong place and I need to gain a new perspective and I need you to help me live a good life. If you're this morning, God spoke to you in any way. We're going to stand, see our time of invitation right now. Rod's going to come. Warren will be here to receive you. If God's speaking to you in any way.